Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. You know I've been talking about earned media value for quite some time on this podcast. My friends at Eisenberg have just raised the bar on earned media benchmarks with their social index. Social Index now gives you globally earned media values across a growing list of six geographies for all your KPIs across the top seven social platforms, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Snapchat, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube. You can now visualize these values for deeper analysis, and they have a look-back window over two years of historical comparisons. Social Index is updated daily. Don't get stuck with old data. Over 1,000 companies have used the Social Index to understand the ROI of their social campaigns. And if you work with a social agency, you should demand they incorporate earned media values into your reports. Get your earned media value for social content. Visit earnedmediavalues.com slash Allen. Again, that's earnedmediavalues.com slash A-L-A-N. For all of us, it's about predicting where the consumer is going and getting half of it right. One of the things we want to do is create ads that don't suck. Embracing change creates great possibility. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Today on the show, I've got Jordan Rost. He's the head of ad marketing at Roku. And he and his team help marketers understand the shifting media behavior, as well as reimagine how to advertise and storytell within the streaming environment. And prior to joining Roku, Jordan held leadership roles at Google, Nielsen, Adaptly, and Accenture. On today's show, though, we talk a lot about the media landscape, what's changing, how he thinks about it, what's the role of video and all various formats of video within that, how to think about measurement and who's adapting and and, uh, adopting, I should say, streaming from the various types of marketers and what's the use cases. So I hope you enjoy this conversation conversation with Jordan Rost. Jordan, welcome to the show. Great to be here. Thank you for having me, Alan. I hear you had a, a doozy of a first job in marketing. <laughs> tell me tell me about that. Yeah, I wouldn't say I got fired, but pretty close to it. So I started out my career in advertising thinking I wanted to be a creative. I was an aspiring art director. I got a chance to work at a few agencies, worked on some great brands, but I was quickly found out that I I really wasn't very artistic. And I was found out that way. One of my creative directors said, hey, so your copywriter is doing all of your pencil sketches. (laughs) And (laughs) as an art director, it was kind of a problem that I couldn't really convey my ideas on paper. So 
didn't think that was going to work out for me long term. But that was really kind of my first exposure to creative briefs and insights and measurement. And I've kind of been chasing those threads ever since. That's amazing. Not only because it was a bad experience, but you learned from yeah. it and you got early exposure to you. It's funny. I didn't get fired either. I don't think I got promoted out of what is the Peter principle? You get promoted above your capabilities or whatever. I, <laughs> I, like I was that. doing ad design. <laughs> Failing upwards? Sure. <laughs> yes, that's what I'm looking for. I was doing ad design at a student newspaper in college and ended up in the business office, I guess they, they were like, okay. you're better at business than you are at designing these ads. Yeah, I had sort of a similar experience. I mean, I loved selling in the work. I loved kind yeah. of getting the creative brief and then getting the results at the end of the campaign. The actual, yeah. like getting my ideas on paper, I wasn't so good at. And so <laughs> I feel like a lot of people kind of failed their way into advertising. At least that's the perception. Mm-hmm. I honestly have loved advertising ever since I've really thought about it as a career. And yeah. so... I don't know if that makes me foolish. I don't know if that makes me, uh, you know, creative, but it's been really fun to explore all different sides of the industry ever since. Well, from those early days to now, you're head of ad marketing at Roku. What's been your path to get there? If there's been a guiding principle in my career, it's been trying to figure out how consumers and brands and people ultimately use technology to live in the world and grow themselves or whatever they're trying to do. And so I started at Google to explore how search trends indicated what box office take was going to look like for movie studios and what recipes were going to trend based on what people were searching. Search was a huge area of focus. Mm. I left to join Nielsen to help major CPGs and retailers figure out what e-commerce meant for their business. From there, I explored social advertising at Adaptly, which was later acquired by Accenture. And I mean, in each of these moments, I was looking at search and e-commerce and social advertising. And really, to me, those have been the major platforms that have guided the way that people interact with the world around them today. Yeah. And when I looked at the landscape ahead of me, TV and TV streaming was a really big next evolution of that, which is what led me to Roku. And in the just over two years I've been here, it's certainly been an accelerated and I think rapid shift that we've seen people take both on the consumer side and on the advertiser side, but it's really delivered on my expectations that alongside all these other major digital platforms, TV streaming is this next really big evolutionary wave. Well, let's talk about media and the media landscape, because like you mentioned, there's been some big shifts along the way, but like even within just broad media, Mm-hmm. There's no shortage of changes going on. As a marketer, we've got privacy challenges, loss of cookies, social media platforms being not able to track things that they used to be able to track. And to your point, streaming is hugely on the rise. And you've got this like steady, slow decline of traditional media. How do you think about media in general? And then we'll get into like where does streaming fit in? But broadly speaking, how do you think about it? That's a lot, right? It's a lot yeah, changing all is. at once. And I think one of the exciting things about media is as a practitioner, as a marketer, you have to be aware of all of those things all at once. There's very few people who I think are only really affected by one of those things. And so it is a lot to take in. I think the media landscape and both the consumer side and the practitioner marketer side 
looks a lot like the changes and the shifts that we're seeing across society in general. We're seeing people question institutions and authorities that they've never really questioned. I think the old adage of nobody ever got fired for buying IBM. The same thing has been true of traditional TV and social for the last few decades and beyond in some cases. And today that's not really the case for a lot of the reasons you described. And so we've been really interested to see as marketers are replacing their bets TV streaming has also been coming up as a channel and a platform that can deliver scale and reach and precision and storytelling that matches many of the reasons why people are excited about TV and social to begin with. And so we've seen a lot of marketers and consumers, frankly, shift into those environments where they're more in control. There's less ambiguity and ultimately a better consumer experience and a better advertiser experience. And so This huge reset is really interesting because it's all happening at a pretty fundamental level at all the same time. And so it's exciting to be a part of that, at the center of that. But it's also just as a student of advertising, a really interesting time to be seeing some of these big questions come up. Let's talk more specifically about video (laughs) and the state of video advertising and media. How do you think about that as a channel and its various permutations, if you will? Yeah, it's so interesting. We've done a lot of research into how do advertisers think about the video landscape, and Mm -hmm. they've never had more choices from vertical social video to traditional TV to TV streaming on demand live. We hear from marketers that they don't really want to have to differentiate between buying in each of those environments. They have Mm -hmm. an audience, they have a message, they want to deliver that message in the right format that respects the value of each of those channels. But ultimately... If you've got a story to tell and you've got an audience to tell it to, they want to think about how to make that connection as frictionless as possible. And so in a lot of the ways that we look at it, some of the traditional delineations between what's traditional TV and linear TV and streaming TV, a lot of those are breaking down. We see this in the Roku channel, which started as largely an on-demand ad-supported environment. Mm -hmm. One of the fastest growing areas of the channel is in live ad-supported streaming TV. And so... Mm I think from a marketer's perspective, and it really orients around the consumer perspective, consumers are moving fluidly between all these environments and marketers are really being forced to think about their storytelling and across all that in a really fluid way, which is exciting, but it's also, it gives marketers a lot more to think about. To your point, as a marketer, I just want it to be easy and it's probably not going to be easy for a while, just given all the choice that we have available to us. Streaming seems to me to be inherently measurable with the right partner. And given that fact, I can see it being kind of a natural performance or digital marketer's dream or add-on or extension, if you will, of their Mm -hmm. capabilities. Are you seeing that type of move as well? Or are those the first movers, if you will, into streaming? Or do I have it wrong? I I might have it wrong. No, I think it's one of the fastest growing parts of the marketplace that we see. And exactly for the reasons you described, TV streaming is a more measurable, precise, dynamic environment that's In some ways, the best parts of the TV ecosystem and the digital ecosystem combined. And so a lot of performance marketers rooted in social and Facebook and other platforms like that are following audiences to TV streaming. They're finding that many of the strategies they've used for those environments, be it behavioral targeting signals or using their first party data and modeling to find audiences that look like those audiences, 
those translate very seamlessly in the TV streaming environment. And so many of the same strategies, many of the same very tactical playbooks can be transferred. And so at the same time that the efficacy of those social channels and mobile channels are really being questioned, there's a real big opportunity to tap into TV streaming as a better way to start the consumer journey and enable discovery and new audience acquisition. And a lot of performance marketers are moving in that way. We've actually done some analyses that looked at what the overlay between households that stream TV and those that are reachable on social. And we found there's pretty healthy overlap, as you might imagine, because the scale of streaming has grown and social is obviously something that's, for a lot of people, pretty everyday behavior. But there's also a lot of completely incremental and new audiences that are streaming ad-supported TV that you're not seeing on a daily basis in social. And so... Performance marketers have used this as a way to go upstream and in some ways put TV on the digital map in ways it never was possible. I was listening to one of your recent conversations with John Sheldon from Smile Direct Club. Mm -hmm. and He was talking about how they think about using data to find the eddies in the purchase process. I love the way he described that. And to me, there's never been a bigger gap in a performance marketer's view of their media mix than traditional TV. And Mm -hmm. TV streaming really shines a light on and closes some of those gaps. You can find those eddies. Mm -hmm. And so we're really excited by all the different new ways that performance marketers are driving website visits and app downloads and true direct response performance with TV through streaming platforms like Roku. I'm a novice to the streaming side of advertising. Like help me illustrate an example, like what's possible if you will today. I think one of my favorite examples is many performance marketers have around key major moments. Think about sporting events. March Madness is happening as we're recording this. The majority of many different younger audiences are exclusively watching that content through streaming services. And so we've created opportunities for brands to sponsor experiences that aggregate all the ways to watch across March Madness, the games that are playing, shoulder content, if you can go into all the different Cinderella stories. And for a performance marketer, it's great because that's reaching a new audience you're not probably able to engage with because you're probably not buying in traditional TV. And if you are, these are new audiences that have probably cut the cord. And so you're going all the way upstream to really engage with the top of the funnel, if you will. But then I think where it starts to become more performant is a lot of our performance marketers are building audiences who they engage with those experiences. They're re-engaging those same audiences on mobile devices where they can directly put them into an app download experience or get them onto the mobile website where they can convert. And we're able to connect the dots from an experience standpoint and a measurement standpoint across each of those different touch points. And so it's a true full funnel strategy that brings in all the great sight, sound, and motion and great content that TV has always provided with the literal action in your hands that mobile has provided. And so the kind of storytelling and performance capabilities that provide are pretty unparalleled compared to any other kind of cross-device media the industry has seen. That's pretty cool. I, I like the examples you used. How about the traditional you know, linear TV planners, are they coming as well now or still holding back? I would say much of the connected TV ecosystem and the TV streaming market really started from a place of an advertiser buying into traditional linear TV and extending the reach of those campaigns with TV streaming to 
households that are cord cutters or light TV viewers. And so when you asked who is the core first movers, I I think TV buyers really were some of the first movers Mm -hmm. into the space. I think what's changed is obviously we still can deliver incremental new unique audiences compared to the traditional linear TV. But I think the big flip that's happened over the last couple of years is streaming has become the primary media buy for TV buyers. Our research said that two in five buyers last year planned their upfronts with streaming outlets ahead of traditional linear TV outlets. And we think that'll flip this year to become the first real streaming first upfront. And so whereas it may have been something that filled in the gaps or provided a couple of percentage points of incrementality because of the precision, because TV streaming helps reduce waste and ultimately is a better ad experience for consumers, many TV buyers are starting to plan first in the streaming environment ahead of traditional linear TV. That's interesting. And I mean, upfronts are upon us. Yes. Uh, (laughs) How does this change your approach to going into upfront season and also, I guess, the marketers more importantly? We think there's a bright and vibrant future for upfronts because it ultimately reduces risk for buyers. Mm -hmm. Our approach to upfronts, because we are a digital platform at our core, has always been still enabling some of that knowability and control, but still enabling agility and flexibility. And so, especially over the last couple of years, especially over the last year in particular, so many brands have said, hey, our plans need to shift. Markets are opening and closing, supply chain shortages have hit. And so, The agility we've been able to provide while still also enabling them full visibility as to what their plan for the year is going to look like has been, I think, really well received. And so life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss. We think the future of the upfront is going to require it to still maintain a lot of that agility and flexibility. I think some of the biggest changes we're starting to see even this year is with an eye towards getting more kind of niche and specific. I think the promise of TV has always been tapping into those universal moments that everyone experiences together increasingly we're seeing TV buying happening in a more kind of digital way. And I think a good example of that is a lot of the major consumer packaged goods companies that we talk to, their audience is anybody with a mouth. And so (laughs) they've taken that very broad approach initially to buying TV streaming. And a lot of that's changing. We're seeing a lot more, I think, behavioral 
a lot more narrow views of different audiences being applied to the upfront buying and planning process. And that's, I think, a pretty big shift. Hmm. I think the last thing I'd say is the performance marketers, they're buying and planning and ultimately optimizing against real performance outcomes. And so for some brands, that is a guaranteed audience that they're reaching, an incremental one at that at times. For others, it really is actual performance outcomes, be it e-commerce transactions or app downloads or things like that. And so, again, the delineation between brand and performance advertising, streaming blurs that in a very big way. And I think that's to advertisers' benefit because they can still get the reach and the impact that TV is always enabled, but tap into the measurability and the optimization that digital is always provided. It's interesting. I like the use cases in particular. Like if I think about CPG, to your point, like if I'm selling toothpaste, (laughs) yeah, it literally is anyone with a mouth. But if I'm selling diapers, Mm -hmm. now targeting, finding the X percent of the population that's in that stage of life is hyper important. And I know behind the scenes, they've got their own data strategies as well in terms of trying to build out what they know about households Mm -hmm. in the U.S., which just further, I think, precipitates that look towards an avenue like a streaming that can help connect the dots. Like, I know this much about these households. Can you help us target them specifically? Yeah. And I mean, even toothpaste is a really interesting example. There's natural toothpaste that may appear very differently to a more conventional flavor of toothpaste or my kids are big fans of a unicorn colored toothpaste. And so (laughs) similar to diapers, I think you're getting a much more kind of specialized version. I mean, what we've seen, so we have a partnership with Kroger that enables advertisers to tap into just as an example, their shopper data about what people are actually buying. Mm. And so we can bring that directly to TV to say, we know that people are buying in the category, but they're maybe buying a different brand from name Mm. your favorite toothpaste brand. And so not only are we really getting getting pretty near to closed loop attribution, but we're actually able to get really creative with the different audience appeals you can make on the biggest screen in the house with all of the sight, sound, and motion capabilities that TV has always provided. Well, now you're speaking my language because the way to get a brand to grow is to go find those light users, those occasional buyers, right? And really try to drive that conversion to my brand versus the competitors. And that's always the data that we don't have available to us, right? We don't necessarily, the retailers know, (laughs) they know know who's buying what. But to your point, if you've got a partnership that blends those two together, now I see the power of going and finding those growth opportunities for my brand. That's awesome. Definitely. And I think we think of our opportunity as we're able to build behavioral signal around what people are watching and use that to inform audience strategies, just the same as performance advertisers or digital advertisers have been doing for years on the web. And so for the first time ever, TV, which is where the majority of us still spend our time consuming media, is actually addressable, not just from an ad buying perspective, but from an audience understanding perspective. And so Sure, the audience for most every major TV tentpole event, be it award shows or even some live sports, is declining over the last few years. But we can still find those same users or viewers wherever they're watching. If it's not that same piece of content or if it's happening in a streaming environment, Mm. we're able to understand that. And that's really powerful for our advertisers to understand those audiences, find them wherever they've gone to, and ultimately deliver a better experience that still taps into the passion point that drove that viewership in the first place. But 
in my perspective, is more respectful of that attention where they're engaging with useful content. So in the example I provided about March Madness, they're actually helping curate and find content that otherwise is spread across a number of different streaming services and maybe behind registration walls. So ultimately, brands are the ones who I think are best utilizing streaming are providing value and making the actual consumer experience of watching content on TV better. I have an interesting question to ask, and I don't know if this is the right question to ask you, <laughs> but we'll try. We'll see. We'll see. So years ago in my career, I was working with a large telecommunications company, and they were doing a lot of primetime product placements and shows. And I'm curious if that's made its way to the streaming environment, or if you guys are thinking about that as another ad opportunity in the future. Definitely. So over the last year, we acquired this old house, which I would argue is one of the better properties and platforms that's ever really seamlessly delivered both great, useful content, but treated Mm -hmm. brands as a kind of first party to that content. And so we've had the fortune of working with a number of different brands to really naturally and seamlessly integrate their story and their offerings and some of their IP into that content. And we think Mm -hmm. there's a lot of really good opportunity to continue down that path. Over the same last year, we also launched the Roku Brand Studio directly with an eye towards helping brands fit their stories into, in a natural way, into the entire experience of streaming content. So Mm -hmm. the experience I was describing about a brand activating in March Madness are team would help curate that content, build the actual microsite, for lack of a better term, that Mm -hmm. houses all that content and ultimately naturally fits into both the ad experience or the content experience, as well as in many cases, the ad breaks and the content itself in some cases, Mm -hmm. each of the different kind of elements of the brand's IP and their story. And so given that it's not a linear feed coming at you, it's there's so many different elements across the entire user experience, there's such a much more diverse and broad canvas to play with. And so brand integrations is part of that. The actual streaming user experience is part of that and everything in between. That's a lot of options, a lot of tools in the toolkit <laughs> to try to play with. Well, this is fun. Thank you for coming and telling me more about like streaming and how the media landscape is changing, what's happening up fronts that are just about to happen. Yes. One of the things we love to do is get to know each person that comes on the show a little bit better personally. And in that note, I want to switch gears and ask you my favorite question to ask everybody. Sure. Has there been an experience of your past that defines or makes up who you are today? Aside from failing at my first real job? (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) Well, I mean, I'll go back to my first actual real job, which was Mm -hmm. through most of the summers. I can't remember if it was pre-high school, which may be getting me into trouble, or just certainly during (laughs) high school, I worked at a tennis shop. I was a tennis player growing up, and my father has always impressed upon me the, the need to work your way through life and appreciate hard work and earn your way. And so while at the time I didn't love having not the ability to go to camp and go do things that my friends were doing that were a bit more fun. Mm. I actually really enjoyed the process of working my first retail job. I got a chance to learn how to string tennis rackets and all stuff like that. And I got free equipment, which was great for my tennis habit. But I think more than anything, it was just kind of an appreciation for hard work and working your way through life. Well, if you were starting this journey all over again, what advice would you give that young high school tennis shop worker? (laughs) (laughs) There's bigger and brighter things out there, perhaps. But I think more so, I'd say, 
be curious and keep asking why we've got, as I was sort of indicating, I've got two young daughters. They're constantly asking me why. And I feel like we train ourselves and society trains us to kind of put that aside eventually. And so I think keep asking why. And part of the thing I loved most about my start in advertising was that insight, that consumer piece of data. And so I think as a marketer, being really inquisitive and curious is one of the best things you can do. My wife also works in leadership and organizational development and change. And she's always saying the best leadership trait you can possibly ask is ask better questions. And so Hmm. I'm always striving to ask good, powerful questions. That's really good advice. What topic do you think marketers need to be learning more about? Or maybe it's something you're trying to learn more about yourself. A lot of our conversations are about incrementality these days. So I talked about kind of Mm -hmm. the performance impact on TV buying. I think most performance marketers have honed their chops about rather than worrying about the right way to measure or attribute their performance, really, Mm -hmm. if they can tease out what did my advertising or marketing or whatever the strategy is do to drive net new audiences or outcomes I wouldn't have otherwise had, That is, to my mind, kind of the holy grail of measuring and attributing all the work that we do. And so for TV buyers, that could be finding incremental audiences that they're not getting elsewhere. For performance marketers, it's true performance lift to their campaigns. And so I think for anybody who's either going really deep into their journey as a performance marketer or even someone who's just starting out thinking about how to make our work more measurable and ultimately effective, incrementality is a really great concept and ultimate measurement tool to use for that. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's become become even more important nowadays with all the other changes in, that are happening in the broader media landscape, the cookies going away and, and mm-hmm. things like that that make it harder to say this came from this channel, so to speak. But right. honestly, I think it's probably better in many regards because I think we were way too dependent on that attribution component, if right. you will. <laughs> sure. and, and I think it was probably a lot of misattribution in many cases because one technology was better than another at claiming credit. <laughs> so, yeah, and I think there's obviously a, a lot of conversation today around how do we properly define TV currency and measure TV audiences. And mm-hmm. I think in a lot of ways, it misses the real story, which is, Marketers are already buying TV based on outcomes and buying it based Mm -hmm. on what's truly incremental performance for their brand and not some proxy of that. And so I think all those debates are good ones to have. And we should, as you said, come up with proper measurement techniques, whatever that may be. But ultimately, Mm -hmm. the closer we can get to truly understanding and defining and optimizing towards business goals and outcomes will benefit everybody. Yeah, no, I agree. On the personal note, are there brands or companies or causes that you follow or you you think other people should be taking notice of? I'm not sure if this is a cause and it's certainly been an unfortunate and gut-wrenching one at the moment, but Mm. amidst obviously a lot of sadness and devastation, seeing the entire internet effectively rally behind Ukraine and the Ukrainian people and leadership and the direct involvement of diverting funds to resources on the ground and driving social action and transparency to me is, I mean, again, amidst, I think, a very upsetting situation, like a reminder that the internet of today is incredibly powerful at bringing truth to power and rallying behind common causes And ultimately, in some ways, bringing the world together in ways that I think have been really necessary over the last couple of years. Again, incredibly unfortunate circumstances, but if there's any silver lining in it and 
I think there's been a lot of discussion about how detrimental the internet has been to society. It has been in some ways heartening to see what I view as an overwhelmingly net positive for society that the internet's provided. Right. Right. Yeah. And I totally agree. And it is kind of, if you step back and think about it, I mean, everybody, every actor in the world, whether it's government, politicians, celebrities, brands, companies, they're all using the internet to back, if you will, people of a nation and in a time of, of dire need. And I've never thought about it like that. It's validating the internet is a good thing. <laughs> yes. And I think as a marketer, I obviously see all these discussions about Web3 and the future of the internet. Right, what right. we've got today is actually incredibly powerful. And That's very true. I'm excited for the future iterations of the internet. But in some ways, I mean, certainly in my lifetime, we've never had the tools at our disposal to affect change at an individual level. Mm. And I think obviously at a brand level, that's true as well. Yeah, interesting. Well, last question for you. What do you feel like is the largest opportunity or threat facing marketers today? Great question. I think it's probably the same for both sides of that coin. And this is certainly true of me over the last couple of years. Focus. I've had a lot of trouble as an individual (laughs) over the last two years staying focused. My kids have been in a school and it's been hard jumping from Zoom meeting to Zoom meeting. I think staying focused amidst all of that and bringing it back to where we started the conversation, I don't think I've ever seen as much change happening at the same time. And so staying focused amidst all that is both an opportunity and a threat because of all the things that are vying for your attention. Marketers spend a lot of time talking about purpose. And I think that's important because it obviously speaks to social good and some of what I was just talking about. But to me, it's really about intention and Mm -hmm. knowing your audience. If you're a product, what are your benefits? What's your product market fit? What's your story? How do you not over-focus on distractions like the competition and what others are doing and just really stay true to who you are? That's true for marketers for their companies and their brands. I think it's also really true on an individual level as well. Yeah, I agree. Well, Jordan, thank you so much for coming on and and spending some time with us. Great. This has been so much fun. Appreciate it, Alan. Hi, it's Alan again. Marketing Today was created and produced by me with support from my team and podcast editors, sound engineers, and writers at Share Your Genius. Find them at shareyourgenius.com. If you're new to Marketing Today, please feel free to write us a review on iTunes or your favorite listening platform. Don't forget to subscribe on marketingtodaypodcast.com and tell your friends and colleagues about the show. I love to hear from listeners. You can contact me on marketingtodaypodcast.com. There you will also find complete show notes, links to what was discussed in the episode today, and you can search our archives. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. 